Listen for the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. So last Sunday, we read the section just previous to where we're reading today. Remember, Jesus said in that section, you are blessed and talked about all these different ways that we can experience the blessings of God. Then he went on to say, you're the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine so that others might see the good work you're doing and give glory to God. Professor Levine in her book, Sermon on the Mount, a beginner's guide to the kingdom of heaven that we're using these several weeks of this sermon series reminds us that at this point in ministry, these are Jewish people. Jesus is a Jew teaching Jewish followers about Torah, about what they call the law or the instructions or the teachings, the commandments. But of course, as Christians, we have committed to hearing Jesus and following him as well. But often when people experience discomfort or disorientation, rather than listening closely, they decide to attack. For so many, a strategy to get out of their discomfort is to attack, to tear down, to blame somebody else, and then go after them. Jesus suggests a very different tact in our reading today. In verse 17, he says this, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. This whole idea of doing whatever's happening a little better to fulfill the law, to fulfill the commandments, to be one who builds up rather than destroys. Jesus says, this is a better way. Go about the way of something so that you can fulfill Build up, develop further, help it mature, help it be better. That's the strategy Jesus lays out today. He goes on in verse 18 to say, in fact, none of this is going to pass away until it's all fulfilled. In other words, this is God's will that we fulfill the commandments and God will continue to work toward that until that day has come. But then in verse 19, he goes on to say, So even the least of the commandments should not be broken, that we should be zealous, in other words, to try to live our lives in alignment with God's and God's laws or teachings or commandments. And those who will be great, he says, in the kingdom of heaven are those who do just that, who fulfill the law, who give their all to bring it to fruition, to bring it to fullness. Professor Levine tells us in her book that this comparison style teaching is common within Judaism and in the time of Jesus to say this is lesser or the least, this is greater or better. 
that kind of comparison helps us see the best pathway forward, help us see the contrast so that we can make the best choice. You can see it in the scripture quite a bit where, for example, Jesus says later in this chapter, if parents can good can give good gifts to their children, how much more will God give good gifts to his children who ask for that? Or you can hear it again and over in the same sermon, but chapter 7 and verse 13, Jesus still speaking here says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who take it. But the gate is narrow, and the road is hard that leads to life, and there are few who find it. You can hear this comparison-style teaching. We read a few weeks ago Jesus talking about John the Baptist and saying, John the Baptist is the greatest messenger of God ever. And yet compared to those in the kingdom of heaven, even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. So holding this idea of comparing different paths different ways forward and then making a choice is very common it's what we're seeing today in this teaching of jesus so this scripture lesson today says those who are least break the law or the teachings and those who are great do or fulfill the commandments and teach others to do the same and then Jesus goes on to say, in fulfilling these commandments, living by the commandments of God or aligning your life with the will of God, leads to what he calls righteousness or right relationships. The question is, I put it in your outline, are your relationships right and just? If you want to live your life in alignment with God and want to live it in what Jesus calls the kingdom of heaven, it's not just about your relationship with God and do you affirm that there is a God or that Jesus reveals to us God, but it's also bigger than that. The question is, how does that impact your relationship with others? See if you can hear it in verse 20, the last part of where we read when Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, often Jesus is criticizing the Pharisees, but not here. He's saying they're zealous. They want right and just relationships. And he's calling on us as his disciples to be just as zealous and even to exceed their ability to be in right relationship because they're living their lives in alignment with God. Bible scholars also remind us this is word Jesus uses here that we have translated as righteousness, can just as easily be translated as justice. So it holds up this idea that to be righteous or faithful, to have right relationships, also has to do with just relationships, to make sure that what we're involved in is something that brings justice to all. So that makes it a little harder when we begin to think about that. It's a bigger question here. The bigger question is, does my professed belief impact my behavior? Does my study of Scripture guide me toward more just relationships or to be more involved in works for justice in my community, in my relationship with others? Well, tomorrow is the federal holiday set aside to honor Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 
to remind us of who he was and what work he did, what good happened because of his efforts, and yet also remind us of work yet to be done. As I said in the announcement, no community service here tonight. Parade, very different. You can go and watch, but it will be a very different experience even if you were there. But all of that, as I'm reading this text and thinking about my own relationships, thinking about Dr. King, thinking about the state of our society, I was reading back through some of the things Dr. King said and wrote. I ran across his letter from a Birmingham jail. He wrote this in 1963. He had gone to Birmingham, Alabama to lead a march. He had been arrested for that. He was in jail, and he'd received a letter from some other clergy people, clergymen, white clergymen, criticizing his efforts. So he had some time while he was in jail, so he wrote a letter back to them. It was published in the Christian Century Century Magazine. It's become a fairly well-known document of his. I want to read a few of the questions he raises all the way back in those days that I think can still speak to us today. The first I'll highlight comes from when his white critics give him advice that he should just wait, just hang on, wait a little longer. Dr. King wrote, We have waited for more than 340 years for our constitutional and God-given rights. He asked, as he sees the white church's silence in the face of this tragedy. What kind of people worship here? Who is their God? Where were their voices in the face of elected officials calling for violence and hatred in the public square? He says, perhaps I've once again been too optimistic. Then queries, is organized religion too inextricably bound to the status quo to save our nation and the world his critics also label him an extremist he responds with this at first i was rather disappointed that fellow clergymen would see my nonviolent efforts as those of as, as an extremist after further reflection he asked was not jesus an extremist for love? Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Was not Amos an extremist for justice? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Was not Paul an extremist for the Christian gospel when he wrote, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. As we survey the national or local landscape, where do you see broken relationships? I see it in this legacy of slavery that still plagues our country as we as the white majority have failed to act. So many of the questions so many of the rights that Dr. King was fighting for 60 years ago today have still not been resolved. You look around, what do you see in terms of our national or local or state? Whatever place you want to focus, what do you see? Where is the brokenness? Where is the need? How might we as 
Christians respond. As I read over and over this text this week, I felt this new stirring, this new invitation, or even a calling, you might say, to look again at all of my relationships and see if they are right and just, or if I too am participating in oppression and part of the problem. Listen again to what Jesus says at the end of what we read, verse 20, for I tell you, Unless your righteousness, or you could say your justice, exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And certainly one thing we can say about the Pharisees is they were zealous. They gave lots of time and energy to fulfilling this law. What about you? I have to look at myself. We have to decide. I'm afraid too many of us say, I can't do anything. Uh Slavery so long ago, never participated too big, don't understand it all, nothing I can do today. Well, maybe, maybe not. Jesus gives us a different answer in our text today, I think. I think Jesus says you can make a difference. You can do it. You can teach it. You can fulfill the commandments and share them with others and be great in the kingdom of heaven. See if you don't hear this as an invitation back in verse 19 when he says, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever, whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever means any of us, all of us, any one of us, does it not? Whoever is willing to give the effort to fulfill the commandments, to do justice, Jesus is saying all of us, any of us, can be a part of that. Last week, he reminded us of our Christian identity and said, You are blessed. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light to the nations, or you are the light of the world. That is the identity we claim as Christians, as followers of Christ. And then remember how he finished the little section we read last week in verse 16. He says, after saying, you are blessed, you're salt, you're light. Then he says, let your light shine. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. Make your relationships right. Be a part of the work of justice. That's the call I hear in our scripture today. Do you sense God calling you? Do you sense this opportunity in our country today to be workers for good and right and justice? Robert P. Jones is a researcher and author He's written a book I read at the end of the year called White Too Long, The Legacy of White Supremacy in American Christianity. It is a disturbing read, and yet I recommend it to you. He uncovers how deeply seated racism has been in the American church and makes the case convincingly, I would say, that in fact... Christianity has been the main pole holding up the tent of white supremacy in America. I hated to read it, and yet so very helpful 
to learn better our history as Americans and as Christians and to look at where we are and what we might do today. After he lays out what I found to be a very compelling case of what has happened in our country around racial justice and racial relationships, he says toward the end, here are some places where good work is being done to build better racial justice, to begin to work on better race relations, to build bridges between whites and blacks in our country. One of the places he talks about is Macon, Georgia. He said there was a church back in the early part of our history. It was for whites and their slaves. They all worshiped together in the same building. But then after the Civil War, they divided into a white church and a black church, sitting on property just across the street around the corner from each other, and yet totally separate churches. He says for 128 years, no meaningful contact. But he said that began to change in the year 2014. There was a relatively new pastor at the white church, a tenured pastor at the black church. Some of their members knew each other and introduced them, and they began to talk about this very topic and what they could do to help their church people know each other better and learn more about racism in America. He said some truth-telling really had to happen because of part of this work, they began to look at their history Back in 1855, they found in their records that some slaves, some people, some black people had been sold to build a new building. Probably they were members of the church, and yet they were sold to build their facility in 1855. Then they found a sermon in their archives from 1861 where the pastor had made the case one Sunday morning why slavery was the will of God. It became so popular that it was published and widely distributed. He said they've had to deal with some racial naivete on the part of the whites and some really painful discussions when black people have shared the hardships and injustice they have received because of the way and the state of race relations in Georgia. It was disturbing. And yet it was uplifting because after they had begun to do this work for several years, a couple of dozen of them decided to make a trip to the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery, Alabama. It is a new facility, relatively speaking, which documents the over 4,000 verified cases of lynchings, of illegal hanging of people in our country between 1877 and 1950. Over 4,000 cases verified by at least two sources of this kind of terror and crime that has gone on and gone unpunished and unresolved in our country's history. As they were going through the memorial, finally Kathy, one of the white women, said she was just overwhelmed and saw a bench and sat down. Tim, who was a black man on the trip, saw her and her sorrow, and he went and sat next to her on the bench. Without speaking, they just began to cry. But Tim, in a discussion group later, confided with Kathy that he couldn't but help 
think as they were sitting there in silence sobbing together that for a black man to sit that close to a white woman was the reason they had all these lynchings that were given evidence in this memorial in which they were sitting. We've got some work to do. In just over 130 days, we'll be marking the anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre, which happened just blocks from here, where blocks of our city were burned and people were killed, lynchings happened, homes were robbed, injustice was done, and to no account, no one was ever charged or arrested in any of that. We're going to be giving you some opportunities in these next 130 days to think about that, to do some mourning, some repenting, some learning, some growing, maybe to experience some truth-telling, maybe to build some better race relationships in our own city. Jesus says, you are blessed. You're the salt of the earth. You're a light to the world. But you have to let your light shine. You have to be salty. You have to be light. You have to do the work. Jesus says there is work to be done. There is good to be done. And Jesus reminds us we can do it. As his followers, with the help of God, we can do it. What do you need to do to prepare your heart and mind to make sure your relationships are right and just? What work are you doing personally to make sure that you're a part of the solution and not part of the problem? Professor Levine reminds us, Jesus was a Jew talking to Jews. But I'll remind us as Christians, our commitment is to listen, to hear the call, and to respond in faith. May it be so. Amen.